guys, and welcome back to the Rach Active Podcast. My name is Rach J. I am a master coach, the founder of Core 30. I'm so excited to welcome our guest to the show today. Now, you may know him as Pierce Grayson from Neighbours. You may have also watched a show called The Bachelor, and he happened to be Australia's first batchy. He's also a sports Cairo, an Australian ninja warrior athlete, and the founder of the Robards Method. Welcome to the show, Tim Robards. <laughs> g'day, g'day. Thanks for being on the show. It's always interesting listening to how people explain and describe what I do. It's very, uh, it's very different. There's so many things. So the thing is trying to get it all in, <laughs> really. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good to, uh, looking forward to having a chat. Yeah, I'm really excited to chat to you about all of this awesome stuff. I feel like we've got quite a few things in common in terms of uh, the health and fitness industry and also the entertainment industry. So it's going to be um, a really great chat. And uh, I feel like it's pretty fortuitous, actually, that we're are getting to chat today because you literally have just announced your departure from Neighbours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was it was just getting a bit um bit bit too close to, to call with um, Anna who uh, is due soon. Yeah. So yeah, once we um once we got back to Sydney, we're on a production break. Um, it just became uh, she's actually leaving right now. Um, it just became. Uh, too risky looking at the when they introduced the the lockdown rules and um i just thought you know what what could i live with what couldn't i live with and being in a hotel quarantine if if something happened or she needed me or she went early or whatever i just i couldn't live with that so i like yeah i was kind of forced to i guess my hand was forced by all the rules and things to i just couldn't take that risk so um yeah, I had to leave early. So we only had a month left to go because I was always going to leave because I knew we were having a kid and I couldn't do the back and forth. Had a month to go, um, but just couldn't couldn't see that out. And um, and then yeah, the, they've had to they had to recast someone because I was right in the thick of like a pretty heavy storyline. And um, oh really? Yeah, so they couldn't just like write me out that week. So it was. I was kind of glad though because when when you know when making the decision, I was like, I just I knew how hard it is to rewrite stuff like that. Every single other character had a storyline around my character, and when you think about it, you've got to rewrite like twenty different people's dialogues. You know, the scripts for every single show for the next month. It would be an absolute nightmare. It's almost like we pump out pretty much like a movie length every week. So it's like writing four yeah. movies and they had a weekend to do it. So I was really glad that they decided they're going to recast and um, they found Don Haney, who's a, who's a great actor. So hopefully he doesn't show me up too much. You know, I don't want him to do too good of a job. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the fans would be a little bit disappointed to see you go early, but, but you know, it's probably also a bittersweet um, departure for you too, just in terms of being on the show. It's It's been almost... Almost two be years. At least 200 episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I would have done quite a 200, while. I reckon. Yeah, almost. Something like that. Yeah. So how, you know, was it like for you going? Because obviously, I mean, Neighbours was your first scripted show, wasn't it, that you worked on an acting gig? Yeah. Yeah, that was my, like, I, yeah, I've always been interested in acting. You know, growing up over the years, I've done, like, different commercials, used to do a bit of modelling stuff, and um, and it was just something, like, that I'd always wanted to do, but I wasn't kind of, from a young age, I wasn't kind of that very out there guy who's like, yeah, I want to do drama lessons. I was pretty shy and, and quiet, but I still loved everything about movies. And and, and then I when I was 20, I started working on some stuff and getting a bit of experience, but that was also the time that I was at university starting to do something totally different. So 
I had, I guess, this sort of academic route in my head, which I was going to go and I'd invested so much time into it. And then after about 10 years of being a chiropractor, I was just like, you know what, like I've always wanted to do this. If I don't do it now, I'm not going to do it. So I, you know, taking, I guess, all that stuff, I've had a lot of time in front of the camera, not in scripted stuff, but then I think it was like I, I made the decision to to commit to it and I was doing lessons and classes every week and one-on-ones. And I think the time that you get doing one-on-ones, um, you know, you learn a lot quickly. Whereas sometimes when you're in class, you know, what you learn in a four-hour class because you got to sit there while everyone else is doing their thing. You learn a little bit from that, but it's not as intense as having like you and a teacher one-on-one. So I kind of committed to that and worked my butt off for, for, for many months and, and um and then, yeah, I got my first role in Neighbours, which was great. But I think just a mixture of, yeah, like being a chiropractor, you know, your job is to listen and to motivate and to um, try and help people understand and all those things you do as an actor. Um, mm, you know, yeah, so, so there's some crossover there. Yeah, there's a lot of crossover. So, um, you know, took the actor out of chiropractor. It's a bad joke. <laughs> so it's an easy transition then, I suppose. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's a perfect um, prep for you, like bad dad jokes, right? <laughs> yeah. I've been making bad dad jokes way before I was ever close to being a dad. <laughs> Maybe <it's>, <laughs> So you're ready for it, definitely ready for <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, well, I had, a, I had a younger, my brother's like 11 and a half years younger, so I was almost kind of like a dad to him growing up. So maybe that's where it's come from. Yeah. Okay. Nice. You played that. You played that role already. <laughs> um. So what was it like? Because you know the neighbors set is like is unlike any other production set. It's like you said. It's so fast paced. You turn around stuff. You're filming blocks, rehearsing blocks in wardrobe for um, episodes. So, what was that like stepping into that environment for you as a you know your first gig? Yeah, it was a bit like I've, I've been you know around like big productions like that but when something's like scripted you know and it's and it's proper acting it it was it was so daunting I was like for the first nine to twelve months you know I'd pretty much have butterflies in my stomach every day going to work you know it never got um it didn't seem to get easier there'd be there'd be days it goes like this there's some days where your brain's on you know your lines really well it's all about knowing the lines and if you don't know them and part of it early on is you might know them but you second guess yourself and there's that doubt seeps in and then you constant then you just blank and the fear the whole fear of it is blanking and not being able to get through the scene when all these other people are relying on you so it really comes down to like letting other people down i hate doing that so i'd have so much pressure on myself not to let other people down and you kind of you know you're going in as pretty pretty fresh in acting and and you've got to kind of meet the other guys where they're at. Um, it's whereas any other job in the world, you know, if you go in as the apprentice, you know, they, they, you know, you get to shovel shit for a while <laughs> until yeah. you get to do the good stuff. Whereas yeah. this, you kind of like straight in. Yeah. So it's pretty daunting, but I had some, some good support. There was a little bit of like, I know there was a bit between, you know, there's 20 something actors, main actors who are on that show all the time. So walking into the green room, you know, there's, everyone was a great little family, but there'd be, there was some people kind of going, you know, like, who's this guy? Is he just in here? Cause he was the bachelor or whatever. So, yeah. and I would hope to think that, you know, I'd worked hard at, at doing that. And luckily it was a role that was up my alley. It was the right look, the right, this, that, you know, that, that really helps. But you do kind of second guess yourself and you go, am I here because of my acting talent? Am I here? Like I went through the same audition process as everyone else. Um, but yeah, you kind of question that. So all that, it's just this like ride of self doubt, and that takes a long time to to get through because it's 
you, you also a lot of times you get no feedback. So you go in, you do a scene. If it's really bad, director will go, look, do this, do that, do that. But if it's okay, it'll just be right, done, next one, you know, and you're like, was it, was it all right? Are you all right? You know, like you don't get much feedback. So that was kind of hard to take as well. And then, you know, I guess you kind of learn that if it's bad, they'll pull you up. But if it's okay, it's done, you know. Yeah, yeah. How did you how did you kind of get through, you know, when you were sort of having these doubts about yourself? Because even, you know, I was listening to a podcast with Hugh Jackman and he obviously has an amazing career and he still deals with self-doubt, you know, in his ability as a performer. Uh, so, you know, as someone going into, you know, your, uh, you know, your first acting gig, how did you, you know, kind of change that talk for yourself to be able to just build the confidence, I suppose, build your confidence in your craft. Yeah. Well, I guess it's funny when I kind of look at it and I go, you know, are we all, everyone needs a bit of, you know, self-validation sometimes from people. It's kind of nice, lets you know you're on track and that, but then some people just need constant validation and it makes you question that about yourself. It's like, am I in this career because I need constant validation from people? Or whatever. But, um, but in saying that, it's funny on neighbours when you when you create something. Most other times, like if I go, if, if as a chiropractor, if someone comes in, I know by the end of that treatment if I've done a good job and if I've helped them to a degree. Also, there's you know there's that ongoing care, and it may be a ten week thing we're working on, but still, you know if you've achieved something at the end of that. Whereas on neighbours, we'll do a scene. I don't get to watch it on the camera back. I don't get to see it for another three months, usually. Um, so you've got no idea, no feedback as to what you just did, whether it was any good. So I think that's one of the challenges. Sometimes I would get in about three weeks later, we get an early edit. There was a little computer suite we could go to and watch back some early edits. And so you'd get a little bit of feedback, but it was three weeks later. So it's this one job where you kind of get no feedback and you kind of, it's really nice and it helps your confidence when like a director will go, you know what, really good job. Or someone else will come up and go like, well done, well done. And it's, it, it's, you know, I kind of look at it and I go, is that just me needing validation or is it, is it kind of natural? Because most people in most jobs get feedback about how they've, you know, whether it's a K, they're hitting a KPI, you've had so many sales for that day. Even if you're making coffees, you know, we sold 500 coffees, great day. You know, you get feedback, whereas we don't, you might kind of feel it in a scene a little bit. You go, I think that was good, but you kind of don't know. You don't know how it looks and then you don't know how they're going to cut it together. So, I think realizing that some of that stuff is just out of your control. You can't, you won't get that. So that's one thing, realizing that. And then I think realizing that. And then the biggest thing that would affect my day, if I wasn't prepared with my lines and knew them really well, um, and, and early on it's like going to the gym and, you know, everyone's benching 100 and you can only bench 50. You know, you've 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 got to work that muscle, and so I was working like five times harder than everyone else. Everyone else has like learned their lines the night before, and I'm like, how the hell do you do that? You know, and I'm just like working my butt off trying to learn them. Then I get there, and I still don't know them and self doubt. You know, so I think there's a time when that kind of kicks in, and you go, no, trust the work that you've done, but you have to do the work to trust it. Some people can sort of just totally fudge it. So it's really about doing the work making myself do the work and work extra hard and that gives confidence. That was, you know, there's otherwise it's just, yeah, stop the, as much as you can, breathe through it, not thinking worst case scenario. So if I was living every scene like I was going to go down that rabbit hole of forgetting my lines and then, then you know, you go, okay, let's do it all again, do it again. Sometimes, you know, you, you forget a second time, 
do it all again. You forget a third time, and I've had this happen many times. Mm. You'll blank a third time, do it again. You blank a fourth time. And once you get to your fourth time, you start getting so flustered and your brain literally shuts down. You've got all this adrenaline cursing through your body and you're just like, <sighs> you know, and, and the fear is you'll get to that point and not be able to finish and literally like have to go, you know, I've had before once or twice where I've had to almost go line by line because I'm just like freaking out. And so <laughs> that stays with you, that fear. When you have one little muck up, you're like, oh, no, I'm going to head down there. So you've just really got to not live in worst case scenario Get out of. I know. I say this for everyone. So it's it's just anxiety and 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 it's um, not living in worst case scenario, knowing that most likely worst case scenario isn't going to happen. And then even if it does, there is a way to get through it. So if you set that up in your mind beforehand, you're not having this feeling of like absolute impending doom because that's no good. It's no, so many people live in that in so many different aspects of their life. Yeah. So that's the biggest thing is just rehashing to myself that worst case scenario isn't going to happen, but then even if it does, I will get through it. I have the ability to get through it. Worst, worst case scenario is that I'm going to die and I'm not, you know, it's not going to happen. It's not going to so. happen. Not on the set of Neighbours anyway. <laughs> so, you know, kind of before all of your bits and pieces on television, uh, obviously, like you mentioned, you, you've been practicing as a Cairo um, and running your own practice. And obviously, you, you probably also had a, a bit of a relationship between, um, you know, fitness and sport growing up to lead you into this kind of um, career path, right? So what was that relationship like? Yeah, a mixture. Like I think the hands-on part came from my grandma who used to do Chinese massage um, all my life. So I grew up with her, you know, getting massages from a young age and her teaching me stuff and just really um, understanding just how much of a healing effect you can have with your hands. And I was always, I guess, I did well at school and I, I was um, – you know, sometimes I used to think, do I want to be a doctor, go into medicine? And but I look at looking at that, you know, you you're not generally hands on, and I really liked having trying to be able to mix that listening and diagnosing, but also having a hands on skill. And then I was I was doing exercise science and rehab, and I used to when I was at school, I was doing some personal training back in like when when I was eighteen, nineteen, twenty, and. Um, and I wanted to take that to another level. Early on, I was like, oh, maybe work with big sporting teams and all that. Um, so I did exercise science and rehab. After I did a photonics degree, that was a degree. I was, thought I was going to be a physicist and, you know, create holographics and 3D stuff and all that. So I did two years of that degree, got out of that. I was like, don't want to be stuck in a white lab coat in a lab somewhere. Yeah. So I did exercise science. And then I went into medical science, just finished that off for the purpose of changing, getting into then chiropractic. I just got to the end of exercise science and I was like, you know, it's great, but you're only ever showing someone how to do something. Right. Um, and and then I was like, you know, I, I want to have take that but also have the skill of having a hands-on thing. And now it's funny, like over the years, you're kind of regressing back more to doing more of the ex-phys because really – getting to the core and it's, I'm in a nice position where you know everyone's trying to run a business and there's a lot of chiros physios and this out there they want to do well but you're also running a business so you know if you want to make money the more clients you can get in the better or you have the more times you see a client and the more clients you get in the better 
it's all about how many appointments you can get a week. Whereas because I've got other stuff, I'm in a really nice position where I can go in and just enjoy it. I'm not doing, I still work as a car, but I'm not doing it all. It's not really for my income as such. I can earn that somewhere else. I do it because I like it. I like to help people now and, and to keep it up. And um, it's a nice place to be in because you're never kind of driven by, um, I need to see you. It's, it's how can I best serve you, not how can you best serve me. And some people get a little bit, you know, um, pulled in by that 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 way, you know, in, in many ways. So um, it's it's just a nice position to be in to be able to go right, regressing back and going, what's the cause of your issue? Usually it's a lack of good quality movement. How do we put that back in? And it's not usually their lack of being on my chiropractic table. It's not usually their lack of an adjustment or their lack of muscle work. It's usually the way they're sitting or the way they're moving or their lack of movement and all that. So I spend a lot more time now in my clinic actually taking people through movement and healthy movement and trying to work out how can we get healthy movement into your lifestyle? How do we get healthy food into your lifestyle? You know, they're the underlying causes. A lot of people still come in and go, I've got a bad neck. I want you to fix me here. Just do what you got to do, fix me. But it's like, no, you got to fix yourself. I can give you a little adjustment. It'll speed up the process or whatever, but you got to, you know, get to the underlying causes. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I really, you know, um, love that you've got this kind of, it's almost like a preventative health approach chiropractic, isn't it? Anyways, it's to make sure that you have. It's a hard sell prevention. It's the hardest one to sell. (laughs) But that, you know, that's the the better than cure, obviously. Um, But, you know, one of the cool things about uh, what you do as a chiro and, you know, my speciality as a trainer is Pilates, that we have this common focus on spinal alignment, which is so important for movement. So, you know, from a chiro's perspective, um, can you kind of, you know, talk us through why good posture um, and spinal mobility is really important for optimal movement? Yeah, so I mean, you know, your brain is is the computer for the rest of your body. It controls and connects to pretty much every single cell in the body, and and your, you know, your bones are held together by your muscles. And if you didn't have your muscles, your bones would fall in a big stack. So then, throughout as you move through your your life, you know, your if you're imbalanced, then certain bones will cop more wear and tear. Cartilage will cop more wear and tear. Ligaments will cop more pull. Tendons will cop more pull if you're out of balance. And being out of balance just means you're not, you know, you've gone constantly got gravity working on you. And so if you're in a position, whether it's, you know, you've got rounded back, extra kyphosis, extra lordosis, which is your lumbar back, you know, or twists and turns and things like that, where you've got forward head carriage, you've constantly got gravity. You've constantly got the movements. So you're jumping up and down. The forces of gravity become a hell of a lot more. If you're jumping under one leg, if you're a soccer player, you know, twisting on one leg, kicking with the other leg, there's so many things we do that are unbalanced. Then the more unbalanced you are, the more you set yourself up for uneven wear and tear. So this is all just really saving wear and tear and, um, and, and making sure you're just an efficient human being, you know, you're an efficient machine. If you're in positions that aren't efficient, you're either muscles going to be working harder, they're going to get tighter, they're going to feel more tired, you're going to, you know, they're, they're going to thicken up, tighten up, or weaken are the same. So some will thicken up, some will weaken. That causes instabilities, it causes um, imbalances, and just sets you up for further, you know, when things finally go bang, snap, tear, whatever, you know. So... That's essentially what we're trying to do is, is create an efficient 
the sufficiently moving body that you can navigate this world with. And if you can have a more even wear, we're all wearing and tearing over time, but if you can have a more even wear and tear, you might get to 100 or 120 with a body that still works. Whereas if you're so imbalanced at 20, you might get to 50 and already you've worn through your knee, you've worn through your ankle, you've, you know, you've got osteophytes in your neck, blah, blah, blah. So from a chiropractic point of view, I'm not one that, like some chiropractors, you know, do a lot of diagnosis of x-rays and they want to see like a beautiful straight, well, not a straight, no one wants a straight spine. You want the curves in the, the right places, curve, yes. um, the natural curves. But, you know, the thing with an x-ray is that doesn't tell you once you start moving, you know, you can have someone come in with a perfectly curved x-ray and then you ask them to forward bend and they're like, <coughs> or ask them to twist and they got no movement. So... Um, you know, things aren't just about static posture. Things are also about, I'm learning more and more, it's about also having range of motion and strength through that range of motion. So the healthiest people I know have have developed great strength at end range. So think about if you're going to, you know, stretch your, your legs, your hammies or whatever, go into a full deep squat or a full deep lunge. You want to have strength there, not be weak there. So if you only work strength in this range, but you don't work strength up here or down here, you know, like it's, you're going to miss out. So that's the biggest, if anyone's listening to this takeaway is, is develop strength at end range, which you would know when you're doing Pilates, you know, you go into deep lunges, deep squats. If you only ever do short little things, you develop strength there, but you know, our, our modern, our, our world, well, we have built a world of, um, of, uh, comfort, you know, a lot of times most people don't get any lower than a chair, than the toilet seat, than their bed. So they, you know, a lot of people, they don't squat ever bum to their, you know, to their heels. And so you lose the strength down there. You lose that. That's fresh cartilage on your knees down there, you know. No one accesses it. They wear out one point of cartilage on their knee because they only ever squat down to a chair height. So they're not, you know, there's all those things. So, um it's learning to challenge our bodies to use its full range so that when there is something does happen, when you have to quickly pick up a basket or you're leaning over the, the door to reach in and pick up the kids, you've got strength at that end range and you don't pull and tear something. Yeah, so it's finding that range of motion at, at all ends of the spectrum, essentially, um, just so that we can function in our daily lives. And I feel like, I mean, that's my approach to my training and clients is, as well. It's the same as you want to help your body be at a peak state so you can function in your daily life. You prevent injury and, you know, you can move through life with ease, basically, you know, with your with the body that you have. So Yeah, I just kind of treat, I treat all my clients like sports people, you know, like even if you're just a, a stay-at-home mom or something or a stay-at-home dad, you know, like you still, I still want you to have a functioning body that is ready for anything that, you know, that, that comes at it, at least to have the mobility and be able to move, you know, you may not have the the strength, the best bench, a hundred kilos, but you, you have the mobility to do things so that down the track, you know, if you, if you never, you know, reach above here, that's only going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. So by the time you're 60, you know, you're reaching for that top cupboard and you can't, you're getting shoulder impingement. Then, you know, I've got 60 year olds coming out of their shoulder impingement. It's because you didn't do this when you were, you know, when you were 20. And if you do it when you're 20 and you're 30 and you're 40, it should, you shouldn't lose it. But we just get so, um, we forget what we're capable of in our modern day age of comfort. And, you know, nowadays you don't even have to go and, you know, you don't even have to go and 
buy your food and cook it, someone can deliver it to your door, <laughs> let alone going and hunt and gather it and chop it up and, you know, like, so it's we've become so lazy in so many ways, very efficient in so many ways, but we have to now kind of put that movement in because we don't get it naturally in life. We have to kind of look for things that are not so natural, but gyms and things like that to add that movement back in that we should be getting. Yeah. Um, so. You know, obviously you are in incredible shape. Your physique is amazing. You've, you've uh, graced awesome. the covers of um, <laughs> 25 <laughs> men's health covers. I, I um, looked up about you, which is incredible. There's, there's, been, a, there's been a few. Quite a and few. Poor men's health is, is over in Australia. I know. I know. So I was hoping maybe, maybe you know, once... Once I'm a dad, if I can fight off the dad bod, they might want an old old man on the cover one day, but not to be. Well, at least you got to do it while they were still running, which is which is really good. Yeah. Twenty five times, by the way, around the world. Um, so, what's your approach to? I guess you know, there's different areas of of um, being in good shape, performance, wellness, physique. Do you have specific goals that you have for different um, areas, like? You know, in terms of performance, that's a specific thing. Physique is a whole other thing. It takes different steps to, to, I guess, reach these different points. So what's your approach, really? It's kind of changed over years. Initially, when I first started getting to the gym, it was to, to gain size. Um, for I was like a 13-year-old when I started. It was to gain size so I could join the football team. You know, I wanted to um, play footy at school, and I was always the quiet kid, but I loved footy. So I started, you know, training at night on my home. Mum had one of those like multi-station, you know, with a pec deck on one end and the push on the other and the little leg extension stuff. So I used to use that every night um, watching Dawson's Creek back in the day. <laughs> um, I love that and show. so that – yeah, that's how it started. And then I started, you know, I think I then as a 16-year-old, I started, I, I had strength and that a lot of the other kids didn't. Um, you had some big kids, but they were big and soft. You know, you hit them playing footy and they were soft, whereas I was kind of like bony and a bit harder. So when I'd hit with some strength, it kind of hurt them more than it hurt me. Um, <laughs> sometimes. So that was good. I think a lot of kids now are starting lifting weights early, but back then, you know, there wasn't many kids doing it. So then that gave me my little bit of confidence. And then, you know, I guess out of that, I, I had a, an all right looking rig and, and, you know, I, um, one of the one of the the girls at school who was in the, the you know the it group, she started taking notice of me, and I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Um, so, so that I think that started that was my thing of like you know fitness and health. It was a mixture of it. It allowed me to play football and and be strong and have that and have confidence, um, you know, with other guys and be respected in in many ways. And then it also got a bit of attention back then as a 16-year-old from, from the girls and I got my girlfriend, not because not necessarily because of that, but, you know, it all, all helps. Um, and then uh, I think back then I had a pimply face. So what I made up, what I lacked in my pimply face, so maybe I made up with you know, <laughs> a, a decent rig or something. But um, um, it would have been my shining personality, of course. Of course. But, uh, yeah, so then over over the years, then I started doing, I started doing a bit of modeling stuff. I got into that through my sister who was doing some and her agent was like, oh, I'll come and do some shots and casting. And then I started booking jobs and, and a lot of that stuff would, would be kind of like, you know, underwear, swimwear stuff and that. And so then it sort of started to become a bit of a source of income for me. So early on, it was about strength, but it was probably a little bit more like bodybuilder-ish, right. you know, like not to the level of being a bodybuilder, but it was more aesthetics based, my training. Mm. Um, um, but not, not 
to that level of like infatuation with how I look all the time. Just I enjoyed training, but I was also, you know, just wanted to have a, a you know, a needed a good rig. It was sort of a source of income, I guess, in a way. And then that sort of stayed with me, but then becoming, you know, getting to chiropractic and, and understanding function and, and, and all that, I, I then would set goals and started to really enjoy things like using Olympic rings and, um, uh, and just doing things, you know, a bit of powerlifting and, and doing things that were strength and function based and, and not always do a session, you know, and you're looking in the mirror, how am I looking? Am I any different? You know, it wasn't about that. So the outcome measures became um, functional outcome measures, you know, on the rings. Can I get my first muscle up? Can I, you know, do a dip and, and get that range and have my, you know, elbow above my, you know, little things like that, handstands. I got into yoga and flexibility goals, handstand goals, all those sort of things. And then as a result of that, you know, I found that having a good physique was kind of more the secondary, which helped with work and this and that. Um, used to be a topless waiter there for one, for one <laughs> bit. So, you know, so you, you kind of need that to be doing that. Um, pay the, that was paying the uni bills for a yeah. little bit back in the day. Um, so, but, but I, underneath, I always came back to, um, you know, I didn't, I saw people that were in the real bodybuilding kind of game and it just, for me, not everyone, but there are a lot of people, it becomes a little bit like it was really showing a lot of insecurities in people and they would just, if their only outcome measure is how I look in the mirror, I just don't think it's it's not a great one. It's, it's you know, it can be we all, we all like to look good in the mirror where we can, but if that's your only measurement of validation for yourself and self-esteem, then that can be really dangerous. So what I try and do for my clients and what I try and do for everyone, I mean, I know everyone always generally wants to look good and giving yourself good, healthy movement will help that, but you want to have other outcome measures. That's what I've done with the robots method and um, with the 721, the nutrition, it's, it's about creating a healthy functional body, but you know, I want to get out of that thing of comparing yourself to someone else and having to look a certain way. You know, we want to more so function a certain way. And when you start doing that, the way you look will will change hopefully for the better, um, but it's not your only outcome measure. Yeah, I definitely have found that even working with, you know, in my, um, with my clients and through classes, I feel like a lot of people come to fitness or health and fitness initially, like you said, uh, for an aesthetic um, look. Everybody likes to look good, mm-hmm. but then as you progress through your health and fitness journey, uh, it, it has to become something more, um, I guess, internal because, like you said, if you place all your value on how you look, one thing that we know for sure is our bodies are never going to be the same. As we get older, they're going to change. And so if you attribute all your value to that aesthetic look, I mean, it's so dangerous for your mm-hmm. you know, self-worth to think, okay, I am what I look like. Or I am this body. And awesome, yeah. we can you know, enjoy our bodies as they look good when we can, but, you know, also understanding um, there's more to it, like you said, which is really yeah. a really great approach. A lot, of, a lot of people I know that don't go to a gym or do something like that, their initial thoughts of going to the gym is to lose weight or to look good. But it's, it becomes so much more than that. You know, like just yesterday I had a crazy, busy, busy day and I was, and I was like stressed. I just had deadlines, deadlines, deadlines and stuff to create, create, create. And I was just one thing to another to another. I had one bowl of like oats in the morning and I hadn't eaten until nine o'clock at night, you know, just so many deadlines. But I got to 6.30 and I had that, you know, that 
stress, anxiety build up and I'm just like, I need a bit of me time because I didn't get to do any exercise the day before. And even though I had, I had like 40 minutes, and that's the drive to the gym and back. I'm like, I've got to go. And I just launched in there, quick session. That There was no purpose in that, in doing the session to look good. It was just I need to like blow off some steam, get a sweat on, feel like I've achieved something, feel like I've given my body, like I've nurtured my body. I've given it a challenge that is good for it, yeah. you know, because every time you go to the gym, you're creating – generally you're creating a, a challenge in your um, – uh, you're, you're looking for a beneficial adaptation to that challenge, whether that's on a biochemical level, whether that's on a physical level, whether that's, you know, stimulation to your cartilage to grow a bit stronger, stimulation to a muscle, to your heart to pump a little bit better or just to, you know, balance out your hormones because I was running on cortisol all day and I'm like, mm. I just need to get this out of my system, out. you yeah. know. Yeah. It's, that, that becomes the thing that I just wish so, much, so many more people would, would understand. Yeah, and get to and sometimes when you're starting your exercise journey, it takes, you know, it takes a few months to start to feel those benefits. But when you get them, hopefully they stick with you for life, and you want to make it something that you want to keep for life. Yeah, definitely. And I, you know, I think I mean for me, it's the same. I feel that movement is is such a. It's more than just the movement. You get so many benefits in terms of mental health. Sometimes it depends on the activity, but you know, running can be meditative for me. It doesn't have to. You know, it's just. Um, all-encompassing. It's like a really um, holistic, um, I guess, activity to do. Um, and so like, you know, in other areas of your life, um, I suppose what, what I've sort of heard you reference is having a real understanding around your goals and values um, because you've been, you know, successful in many areas. Um, how have you sort of developed this self-awareness about what's truly important to you uh, and what drives you, you know, that emotional why for doing things? Um, yeah, I think um, if you've heard of uh, John D. Martini, he, he's a, he used to I be a chiropractor. I think, he, yeah, I think he gave up when he was like 25 or something and went into just, you know, speaking and he's been doing yeah. the speaking circuit for years. He's got some really good stuff. He's really, 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 really well researched. He just yeah. constantly reads books and he's constantly, he's like, He's read everything on every religion. He's read everything on every bit of science. He's read every like so many things. Um, that inspires me. He he's got a, a values determination process thing, and a lot of his stuff I've kind of taken a lot out of. But I think you know, knowing a lot of times we we do things growing up that you know our parents want us to do, or that we feel we should do. We do because we think it's going to bring us income or whatever as opposed to sometimes doing the things that we love to do that just bring us happiness and joy and it's finding the balance in that, you know, if you, in some ways, you know, Dean Martini will say like, if you're, if you love playing video games, you know, maybe do more of that. And then you probably nowadays people are getting paid handsomely for playing video games and being good at it, you know, but I think there's still a balance of going, okay, you, you still got to maybe in some ways find some way to contribute to society as well as doing things that you love. But it'd be good if in some ways doing that, you can also be contributing to society because that's usually how you get paid. If you're not doing anything that, you know, is contributing, then it's really hard to make money from it. But um, yeah, I think I've over the time, I've got more and more, I've learned to back myself. Um, the more and more I challenge myself, like doing things like Bachelor back in the day, you know, that was, I found my wife through that. And that was, that. I, I think we went on back then, good intentions. It was a different show than it is today a bit. But, um, but you, you're, even that as an example, you are every day pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. As, as a, I was a pretty quiet guy and, 
and constantly being challenged. But every time you put yourself out of your comfort zone and you feel and experience those nerves and butterflies and you get through it, you grow a little bit more confident in certain ways or have belief in yourself. So the more and more belief you get, the more and more kind of unstoppable are, the more and more you're likely to do the things you love doing that you normally we shine, shine like doubts on ourselves. So it's kind of, it starts with going, I'm going to put myself, I'm going to expand my comfort zone, not necessarily put yourself out of your comfort zone, expand it. So I'm going to expand it a little bit tomorrow. I'm going to try this. And then you get through that and it's nerve wracking. And then, you know, you, you achieve something and you go, cool, I'll, I'll do it again. And sometimes you fail. Like sometimes you put yourself out of your comfort zone, expand it and you fail but you want to take, you need to look at that as a positive. You know, I look at everything having an equal kind of negative and positive. And if you're only ever looking at the negative, you're not seeing the positive. And even some of the most horrible things that happen to us in life still have a positive on one side that a lot of us, we don't want to recognize. We don't want to acknowledge it, but there can be positives that come out of even the most horrendous things that have happened to you in life. So 100%. if you can balance those things out, and not have an expectation that life should always be roses or life should always be this or on the flip side, life's always shit to me. If you can find the balance, you can move through life a bit easier. You can, you'll believe in yourself, have a go at more things, do more of the things you love because when you give yourself that opportunity to do more of the things you love that really can give back to people as well, you'll probably end up being paid more for it and because you're really good at it and you you just be happier as well, yeah. You know, and and that's life's pretty short. You realize, especially when you know lately, when everything can be taken away from you like that. You know, you realize you don't want to waste your life doing stuff that you that don't that doesn't align with your values, or being with someone that doesn't align at least with your top values. Yeah. So, Demartini's got a really good um, values determination process. If you look up Demartini, I think it's the thirteen questions, values, determination process, you go through that and it just allows you to kind of look at your life and not think of a lot of us, we, if I was to say, what are your top values? You'd maybe tell me some things, it might be a bit more what you think you should be or what you, what your parents have said your values should be. Whereas when you, like he's got this process where you look around your house and you go, what do I, what do I have in my house? Do I have memorabilia of when I was a soccer player as a kid? Do I have music? Have I set it up for entertaining guests? Is it full of alcohol? Is it full of books? All these little things, what, what photos do you put up? All these little things will tell you what your values are. You know, if it's always photos of your family as opposed to like, you know, posters on the wall of your favorite rock band or whatever, you know, all these little things are the subconscious things that tell you what your values actually are. And you work out, you know, what do you talk about when you're talking to your friends? Um, what do you find yourself talking about all the time? In those moments between work and play, what do you find yourself doing? What do you find yourself Googling? All those little things yeah, um, will tell you what they are. And then if you start living your life aligned with those, I really feel like you're, you're going to be happier. You're going to be more successful. Um, and less resentful because you're living a life aligned with your values, not someone else's. Yeah, just living a life on your, I guess, your path, your purpose, right? I, I remember going to um, a Demartini se seminar long, long, long time ago. And um, I, I reckon that would have been one of the reasons why um, I pursued acting was, was from going through that to, to understand, you know, to just 
listen to your intuition, I guess, a little bit more, that unconscious part of ourselves that knows the true part of us, right? And um, so, so much of like what you're saying, we get conditioned and told these things from external sources that sometimes we we listen to that more than listening to ourselves or what's, you know, really true for ourselves. So that's a, yeah, I, I, I will look that up because I'm, I think it's time to revisit. It's always good to reassess it's so good. values. Your, your values will generally, yeah, they'll always change as well. So generally they'll be, you know, but they might. some people they might change every five years, some people every two years. Um, but they'll, they'll generally change, like me becoming a father, you know, some of my top values may change to like that my daughter, my family become top, top, whereas before in my 20s it was – you know, it was adventures and travel and, and all that. So, you, you know, you, your values definitely change. It's good to revisit them. Um, but, you know, and I think if you're looking for a partner in life, one of the bigger, the truest things is your, your top five values have to be aligned with their top values. You know, the other little ones can be there and conflict each other and, you know, you, you let them slide. But if your top values are, like, not congruent, then you're going to struggle. You're going to butt heads and you're going to try and make them something they're not. You're going to try and put your values onto them. They're going to try and put their values onto you and you're just going to have a hard time. So <laughs> Yeah, so it's good to, to know what your values are, guys. That's the, that's the big lesson out of that one. And then you can look at, you'll be able to look at your partner and kind of use some of those questions and answer them for themselves. What do they have around their house? What do they do in their spare time? What do they talk about? All those little things, you know. Yeah. That's really good. I really like that. I wanna, I'm going to go look up those questions again to revisit them. Yeah. Well, he always talks about like infatuation versus resentment. You know, infatuation usually starts at the start of a, a, um, a union between two people and you, you know, infatuation is where you, you blow up all the things you have in common and you block out all the things you don't, you know. Um, so you're just like, oh, you know, we do this together and he's like this and he's like that and we've got this in common and this, but you're just blindsiding yourself to all the stuff you don't. And then resentment happens, you know, sometimes three months, six months down the track where you then highlighting all the things you have that are different. He does this, he doesn't do that, he doesn't do that, he doesn't do this out, he doesn't do that, all that. And you blindside yourself to the actual things you do have in common. So then both of those scenarios are an imbalance. They're not a healthy relationship. And they say true love is having an equal balance of both where you can be very happy with the things you have that are different but also very happy with the things you have and you have an equal balance. You're actually observant and not blocking out once, you know, whereas infatuation is the blocking out of the things. You know they're there, but you're blocking them out because you want the dream or whatever, you know. You want the fairy tale. That's you, you watch people on like, you know, these shows, all these reality shows out at the moment and it's very easy to – block out all those things because you want the fairy tale. It's, you know, if you can keep level throughout that sort of process um, and that's that happens in real life, you got to keep level throughout that process or else you become infatuated and then you're locked in and then six months later you're like, oops, what wrong am I doing? One. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oops, oops. Um, so I, I do want to ask you because I'm really curious what your – greatest lesson in life is what what do you think your greatest life lesson has been my my grandma gave me a little cup little cup thing when I was born and she wrote on that to thine own self be true 
And I think that's been one of the things that has helped me, helped with other people respecting me and for me to achieve things and for me to then gain confidence as a person because generally people I work with and people I come across kind of like me. I don't have too many haters or whatever, you know, underline. So that comes down. I think that really helps with integrity. So I think to, to be true to yourself really is probably the underlying thing that I think you need to come back to. And, and that's in so many different ways. You know, that's being true to yourself, being respectful to yourself, nurturing yourself um, and not letting others sort of, you know, push you around, not being an asshole yourself, being, you know, all that. So I think to, to thy known self be true is probably the, the underlying yeah, thing. yeah, I really like that. It's almost like don't bullshit yourself as well, you know. Yeah. Be true to yourself. Don't don't feed yourself bullshit lies. And just like we we're talking about before of living in worst case scenario, don't don't lie to yourself. It ain't most likely it ain't going to happen. Like don't don't tell yourself fibs. We control our minds. Don't highlight all this stuff and block this. Be true to yourself. Be be you know. You control how you think about things. Be honest. Don't don't like almost convince yourself and tell yourself a lie. Yeah. So it all comes down. I think that's what it really comes down to. Yeah. I mean, it takes it takes a lot of self awareness to do that as well. To understand, you know, if you are because sometimes you buy into you know we all have thoughts that come in and you can buy into those thoughts. Um, so it's really just being aware of. Yeah, what's true, like you said, what's actually true for you, I suppose. And I think that's why, like, challenges like they're going on at the moment with all the COVID stuff, everything, it really comes back to, you know, us kind of questioning because it makes you question everything, everything you took for granted before. It makes you question that, which can be a really good thing to go, okay, what's true for me? What is, what matters to me? Is it my family? Is it work? Is it my health? Um, what, what, you know, questioning, you know, what people are telling me, what the government's telling me, what's true there, what's true there, what do I want to believe in, what makes sense to me. Just it's been a good wake up to kind of question and not just be a sheep and just kind of be like, you know, uh-huh, uh-huh, okay, you know, and then have that same mentality and way of thinking. It's, it's a hopefully a way to wake people up a bit and, and become a bit more self-aware, a bit more responsible to themselves and then to other people, you know, instead of like just, even, you know, with the environment, with the fires, with everything, there's like racial stuff, it's just becoming more um, more aware of what we're doing and, and not just kind of coasting through life in this like blase of no self-awareness. Yeah, 100%. I think this time has been so self-reflective for a lot of people. I know for me, me like it, 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 because there's been so much space, especially in lockdown, that you've got time to yourself where you really do have to, you, you're sitting with yourself, you're sitting with your thoughts and, and asking yourself those questions, which is, um, I think, been a really, ble- it's been a real blessing, I feel, actually, um, for a lot of people, I hope. So I also wanted to get onto, because you obviously you're the, the founder of the Robards Method. So I just wanted to chat to you a little bit about that. Can you kind of, because um, it is body weight training, isn't it? Strength and conditioning, but ba- based in body weight. So can you talk, talk us through the approach to training and why, you know, you sort of use that approach as opposed to using equipment 
specifically? Yep. So use body weight, you use outdoor sort of gym equipment or equipment you can get at your gym. Um, but it's more than what you can just do in your living room floor. So, and then we use rings. So I found I wanted the most basic piece of equipment or amount of equipment to get the most amount of results. So, you know, when you go and do, say, a set of rings or a bar or whatever, there's an instability. You need to come from, as a chiropractor, you know, so much comes from so much benefit in strengthening all those little stabilizer muscles. If you just get onto a pec deck and you're pushing forward and back, there's no instability. So, yeah, you might build your pec and your delt and look good, but you haven't built all the stabilizers. So if you can do both, you know, build stabilizers whilst building those big muscles and building strength. And I'm not talking about building to get big. Even if you're if you're a woman who just wants to have great lean Pilates physique, you know, it's about building strength and control to then to look good and to be able to go about your your daily life without injuring yourself and be able to do the things you want to do and do them for longer. Um, so that was that. I wanted to have something that that could, you know, that someone who if you were 60 or 70, you could do in the same program. If you were a female who wants to tone up and say, you know, not get bulky, there's, there's a level for you. But when you're on the living room floor, if you want to, if you want to build muscle and build proper strength, it's really hard without having a lot of weight. So the one way to do that was to be able to use rings and do, when you're doing exercises where you're, you know, you're, you're repping out at 10 and you're struggling to get that 10th that tenth um, rep out—that's where you're stimulating growth and building and really upping your metabolism and all that. So, being able to do that without, you know, with one piece of equipment, I thought that's—it's an easy way. It's a niche way. It just—it takes all those things we talked about before: full range of motion, strength at end range. Um, it's portable. I love training outside. People don't have to have a a gym membership to be able to do it. It's cheap. All those things. Um, from a business point of view, you know, I kind of, it's kind of like being a chiropractor, you know, you, you give people what you think they need, not necessarily what they want. Generally, people want the easiest thing possible. They're like, here, fix me. I don't want to do the work. You do it for me. So from a business point of view, probably would have been better to just do something that you do at home on your living room floor, you know, and people just watch the TV and go along with it for a bit. But, you know, I created a program that I think is the, best thing that's going to get the best results, the quickest results, the most overall results that is the cheapest and all of that. Um, but that's, that's a hard one. You know, it's, there's, it's such a, a big program and, and it's a, it becomes a hard message, you know, like people go, hang on, I'm 70, is it for me? Because I see you on there and you, you know, muscles all rippling and it looks like it's, you know, for only for, you know, expert gymnasts and but then, you know, so there's, there's, um, there's so many things I would probably do differently from a business point of view, but from a program point of view, I think it's one of the best out there because it literally can hit. We don't rule anyone out. Anyone can pretty much get most of the results that, you know, that most people want in some form because there's different levels for everyone. So it's kind of like a, it's like belting karate. You go through every month as an exam. If you, if you pass your exam, you move to the next month. You unlock a month at a time and you can come in at different levels. So, yeah. So if you're already fairly fit, you don't have to start right at the start. You can jump in like two-thirds of the way through or whatever. And we've only had, I think, we've had two or three people now actually finish the program. It takes – the program itself will take like there's two and a half years worth of programming. So if you were to jump in from the very start, 
and you finish month by month, there's two and a half years of different workouts every month that get harder and harder and harder and harder, more skillful, more, more mobility, more this, more that to take you up to that level. So by the end of it, you'll be like the gymnast doing all the crazy stuff if you stick to it, you know, and, and so many people, they, they, you know, we have one of the best, um, um, what do you call it, where someone stays on for the longest amount of time um, compared to a lot of programs because of that. I think that people, when they get in, they love that they're constantly being assessed and growing and a little assessment and grow, just like belts in karate, white belt, yellow belt, whatever comes after yellow, orange, man. Blue. <laughs> green, something like blue. <laughs> blue, yeah. It's, yeah. That, it's that progression, right? And so the focus is therefore more on, on progressing your strength um, rather than that aesthetic look thing again, which, which again is a big driver. Yeah. Yeah. And part of your program too is the nutritional framework that you've obviously uh, written as well, which um, I, I mean, I had a look at it and it, it is similar to, you know, sort of what my um, approach is to, which I quite like, because there's, there's, you know, a portion where you can, indulge somewhat or like have a bit of a relaxed um, approach to it. So um, kind of quickly take us through that um, approach, the nutrition approach. Yeah. So basically it's, you know, I I hate the word dieting. I don't like diets as such. I, you know, if you're going to diet or whatever, I I prefer to use the term, um, you know, detox. Detox Mm. is something you could do for two or four weeks. Mm. I wouldn't detox for three months or whatever because like it's, or diet for three months because if you do something really strict and then you just go back to what you're doing, you're just going to put back, you know, you're just mm-hmm. going to go like this and everyone yeah. does it. So yeah. 721 is a way to live for the rest of your life. It's a lifestyle. It is a way to change your eating but something you can constantly do for the rest of your life. So it's not like keto where, you know, I don't think living in keto, keto can be maybe a good detox for two weeks or whatever. You can mm. set your time frame. But like, you know, I don't think it's a way to live for the rest of your life. I don't think doing these all or nothing approaches are great ways to live for the rest of your life. If you look at them as a detox, like no sugar, hard to escape sugar, no sugar for the rest of your life. But doing a two-week sugar detox is great. Mm. Um, but you need to find then a balance. What is my what is my ongoing balance after mm. I've done that detox? So that's where 721 comes in. So that is looking at the food overall your week. 70% of the food that you eat, when you look at it on your plate, should be whole foods. So whole foods, real foods. So at least when it gets to your kitchen, it is food as it comes from nature. If you're eating meat, it ideally should be food, um, you know, animals that have eaten natural food that they would eat in real life. If you're eating, you know, um, plant-based foods, it should ideally be minimal, minimal, minimal processed stuff. There's a lot of yeah. shitty plant-based protein stuff yeah. out there. Um, Soy chicken and can, such. <laughs> yeah, some weird yeah. stuff. But, you know, yeah. chickpeas, some, just some lean tofu, whatever, you know, like simple yeah. stuff that's not being processed too much. It's getting it on your plate, um, going, right, I can identify all of these things. And there's a bit of a ratio. So we have, you know, palm your hand, the old palm method, that much protein, that much um, fats. Three in, fingers, in palm of my hand, So it could be nuts, avocado, something like that. Yeah, two, yeah. three fingers. I like three fingers. Um, and then this much salad and veggies. So two that's your 70% of your week. Yep. So not just like this, it's like that. You know, if you can see Just that. Just so you listening so at home like, know what he's doing is like holding two hands up instead of clasping his hands closed. Yeah, it's not two little cupped hands. It's like two big, big, hands. big hands. Imagine you're holding two watermelons. <laughs> yeah, it's like that. <laughs> um, so there's that. And then um, your 20%, so that's the seven, that's the seven, two, one. So that's the 70%. It's 20% of your week 
is what we call um, sensible, and that is where we take. So, say you feel like some of that discretion you food, you want spaghetti bolognese, you want pizza. It's just being sensible about that and making maybe your own twist on it. So, going, oh, pizza, I'm going to put more, you know, avocado and and proper veggies and capsicum and this and that. But you know, on the base, I'm not going to have like a tomato with sugary tomato sauce. I'm going to use like real tomato sauce, like a like as a um, bit of a tomato puree on a whole meal base or something like that, you know, less cheese, little things that you can do just to make it more um, sensible version, almost towards, you know, your, your, your whole food, your 70 percenters. There's been some processing like bread and stuff like that comes into, doesn't really, it's been, you know, it's wheat's been processed, it's been milled down by a machine and stuff that doesn't really come into your 70 percenters um so say you're gonna have spaghetti bolognese you know maybe instead of going right i'm just gonna have meat and pasta maybe halve the pasta with some zucchini noodles so you've got a little bit in there maybe make it whole wheat pasta with some zucchini noodles and then grate veggies into your meat or have veggies on the side why not do that you can balance that meal out still have the feeling of you know spaghetti bolognese but balance it out so it's not just meat and pasta so that's your sensible and then we say you've got a little bit of processing, minimal stuff. And then you're 10% relaxed. That's for the week. That's whatever relaxed means to you. So if that means cheesecake, it means cheesecake. If that means cacao um, nibs, that means yeah. cacao nibs or whatever, you know. Mm. So it's trying to balance it out. So if you break that into meals, that means 15 meals would be, you know, if you do three meals a day, 15 meals in your week would be um, super clean. That's the 70 percenters. Uh, t- four meals would be your sensible and two meals would be your relaxed and the same kind of goes with the ratio of snacks yeah and if you do that you can you can you know generally if you're eating 70 percent of the food you're eating as whole food like real food you're going to generally maintain a good healthy body weight and be healthy you have good gut flora you're getting a good array of like different plants and you know all the different um uh fibers and stuff to feed all your good gut flora all of that so that's the premise of it. Yeah, it's just being conscious, I guess, around the foods that you're eating and, and being mindful of, um, yeah, what, what you're actually putting into your body, I guess, yep. right? Yeah. Um, so thank you so much for joining me, Tim. It's been such a great chat to get into all of these awesome topics. Um, I feel like you're, you're very well uh, versed in a lot of these um, cool things, personal development. I didn't know that about you, the Martini thing, so I'm, I will. That's the one thing that I will go check up after this. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, But uh, you guys listening, um, you guys can check out Tim on IG at Mr. Tim Robards and also at the Robards Method uh, and also the website, therobardsmethod.com. And if you do like this episode, which I'm sure you did, screenshot this, post it to your stories, tag Tim, tag Rach Active. And uh, thanks for listening. I will catch you on the next episode of the Rach Active Podcast.